All right, good evening. Good evening, Evie Free. Welcome to our 5 p.m. service. My name is Eddie. I'm one of the teaching voices here on staff. And let's, let's settle this once and for all, all right? I keep on getting asked this question. If you go to our website on the front page, I always get asked, is that you? Does that look like me? It does? I want to I just set the record straight. That, that is just another random Asian guy with sweet dance moves, okay? Eddie, Eddie Park, Asian millennial pastor. This is, that's just random, random guy with sweet moves, okay? Um, we're not the same person, all right? Yeah. Uh, my, my, my world's kind of turned upside down about a month ago. I, I got the opportunity to teach in the worship center, the big room, uh, about a month ago. And my, man, my life has never been the same. I can't even go to downtown Fullerton at a random coffee shop without this happening. I promise you, this, this really happens. I always get this, hey, Jonah. My name's not Jonah, I'm Eddie. Oh, no, no, you're the Jonah guy. You taught on Jonah a couple, uh, uh, like three weeks ago. I was like, oh, yeah. So I, I get that all the time, actually. It's, it's so strange. Like, I, I used to be like, you know, just another random Asian guy that no one, no one really notices, but now I, I get stopped all the time in, in downtown Fullerton. Uh, but, you know, I, I really want to take an opportunity to actually say thank you to everyone. You know, it's, I, I get emails, I get Facebook messages, I get text messages, and, and, and just encouragement, and I just want to say thank you. It's, it, as a young communicator, being on this platform and being in the, in the big room, it's incredibly frightening, incredibly nerve-wracking, actually, of of all the stupid things I could possibly say. But everyone has been so encouraging. So I just, if I haven't personally replied to you, I just want to take an opportunity to say thank you. So thank you for your encouragement. Um, it's a great opportunity because I, I get to share my heart. I, I love that I get to teach here at the 5 p.m. evening service because I just, I get to kind of share who I am to the community. And why that's so important is like when you don't really get to know someone, when you, you don't get to see their heart, you... It's easy to be misunderstood. It's funny, actually, this, this very week, uh, I had a conflict with actually one of our, my coworkers here on staff. Yes, church workers do have interpersonal conflict. <laughs> and, and I got a text message from him, and he said, hey, you know, do you, do you have some time to meet this week? And, and you know when you get a text message or an email from someone you don't normally talk to on a regular basis? And you're like, your anxiety level goes up and you're like, mm, I think this person has a problem with me. <laughs> and so I invited him into my office and he just shared. He actually just confessed. He's like, hey, I, I wanted to really confess to you. I've been harboring some bitterness towards you because I've only kind of, I, I know we don't know each other that well, but I've just, we, we've only had a few interactions, but I just feel like, yeah, I just don't, don't know who you are and don't understand you. And, and really it was that. I was misunderstood. And we, we often do that as human beings, right? We, we, we like to take just a few encounters with someone and we like to put people into their boxes. Like, you're, that guy is the angry guy. That's the annoying girl. This is the sensitive guy. Because it's just easier to deal with people that way. But the problem with that is people feel misunderstood. And that's one of the worst feelings, actually, to feel. What saddens me actually the most is that there's probably no one that's more misunderstood than the person of Jesus Christ. 
there's people out there that, that proclaim that Jesus was a myth, fairy tale, folklore. There's people that, there's people that, that misunderstand Jesus to be almost like Santa Claus, like as if Jesus says, hey, as long as you're a nice person, if you ask it in my name, I'll give it to you. I'll give you that million bucks. I'll give you that jet plane. It's unfortunate that people misunderstand Jesus that way. But what grieves me the most is the polarizing political Jesus that the world sees. People reduce Jesus to being this person who hates gay people, hates immigrants, hates Muslims. That's what grieves me the most, that people misunderstand the greatest person who walked on planet Earth. So how do, how do we as a church, how do we as a faith community, how do we help the world? How do we help the city of Fullerton, Brea, not misunderstand who the person of Jesus Christ is? How do we do that? Well, I find it timely that we've been going through the book of Mark, actually. And, and, and today, it's actually our final week in the series in Mark. And, and we're going to study what it means who Jesus truly is. So let's open up our books to the book of Mark. You know, Mark is, uh, it doesn't get a lot of love from Bible people because it's kind of seen as like, you know, the gospel's like second cousin. Like it's not as long as Matthew, it's not as long as Luke, and it doesn't get a lot of love in, in, the, in the world of scholarship and biblical studies. But you know what? I, I, I've been reading Mark and I've been deeply appreciating it. I, I, I see that Mark is actually a brilliant storyteller. And if you know me, I love narrative literature. It's one of my favorite genres in the Bible because there's plot, there's conflict, there's drama, there's character development. And one of the things that's really cool that Mark does is that he highlights these three groups of people depending on how they respond to Jesus and how they understand or misunderstand who Jesus is. The first group of people that Mark highlights is called the Pharisees and the scribes. They're fellow teachers of the law. And whenever Jesus does a teaching or a miracle and they're in the scene, they're grumbling with one another. They're responding to Jesus very negatively, antagonistically, feeling threatened because they misunderstand who the person of Jesus is. The second group of people that Mark highlights repeatedly in these micro stories in Mark is what we call the crowd. These are the people that are in the 4,000 that were fed, the feeding of the 5,000. They were in that room, that packed room, when they saw someone got healed of their blindness, being healed of their leprosy. In their response to Jesus' amazement, if you read in your Bibles, it says they're always astonished. But the problem is they do nothing about it because their understanding of who Jesus is is just, he's just the, the new hottest magician in town, the new miracle worker, the next big exorcist that's come, come into town. They deeply misunderstood who Jesus was. And then we have this third group who's painted to be almost the protagonist, the, kind of the hope of the story. We call them the disciples. They're the ones that were hand-chosen and picked in the beginning of the book of Mark. They're the insiders. 
They are the ones that walked with Jesus, and they're, they're surely the ones that would understand who Jesus is the, is the most, right? Like, if we read in, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching in parables. Parables are these stories that are kind of, you know, he doesn't directly didactically tell, you know, what, what the moral of those stories is, but he uses a story, a fictional story at times. And what happens is people don't really understand, but this is what he says to the disciples. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So they're the insiders. The disciples are the insiders who are meant to know and understand what Jesus' teaching is and who Jesus is. And the outsider, this is what Jesus says about the outsider in the next very verse, verse 12. They may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. But what's funny is that we see in Mark's beautiful storytelling, the disciples are always afraid, terrified, confused, and they don't get it. And we see that beautifully again through Mark's storytelling. Mark isolates these three scenes. We call them the three boat scenes. There are three isolated scenes when Jesus is alone with his disciples. And the disciples get a, get a chance to actually prove that if, if, if they understand who Jesus is or respond appropriately to Jesus. But again, they respond in fear, being terrified and confused. The first scene is very famous. We've, we went over it a couple weeks ago. It's the calming of the storm, right? Jesus, uh, Jesus is asleep on the boat and, and, and the disciples are with him and there's a raging storm. And the disciples say, Master, Rabbi, do you, do you not even care that we're about to perish? And what does Jesus do? He just gets up. He just kind of hits a three-pointer really easily. And he says, quiet, be still. And immediately, the sea calms down. And the disciples are, again, they, 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 have, a, they have a chance, they have an opportunity to respond to the person of Christ in their appropriate way, but they respond in fear. Who is this person that can calm the sea with his very words? And Jesus looks at them and says, why are you so afraid? The second boat scene, the second opportunity for the disciples to kind of get a chance to get, get it right, they fail again. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And so they go on a boat after this feeding, and Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna, I'll catch up with you later. So he, he's like kind of over here and the, and the disciples are on the boat and what does Jesus do? It's a very famous story. He just walks on the lake towards them. And as the disciples see this figure walking on the lake towards them, they're, they're terrified. They're like, it's a ghost. But Jesus says, have courage. Don't be afraid. It's just me. But they're afraid and confused. And Mark actually in that scene says they still didn't get it. They didn't understand the breaking of the bread. They didn't understand because their hearts were hardened. And the last boat scene, the last opportunity for the disciples in an isolated scene was that Jesus just said 4,000 people and the disciples are in the boat and they have this discussion about bread 
And they're talking amongst each other. Hey, where's the bread? Did you bring the bread? I don't think we have enough bread. And Jesus is just standing over here like, I just fed 5,000 people over here. I just fed 4,000 people. Why, why are you discussing bread? And he says this cryptic thing to them, to the disciples. And he says, beware of the, of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Very cryptic. I'm not going to go into too much detail what that actually meant. But the disciples just kind of look at Jesus. And then they just go ahead and discuss about that they have no bread. And then this is what Jesus' response is. Remember, remember, the disciples, this character group is the one that's supposed to get it. They're the insider. Right? Remember in chapter 4, when, when Jesus is talking about parables, what did, what did, what did Jesus say, say? To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to the outsider, everything is in parables. For they see, but cannot perceive. They hear, but cannot understand. Remember those words. This is what Jesus says because he's fed up. In chapter 8, in the final boat scene, Jesus says this. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Excuse me for being overly dramatic. I'm Korean, and we're overly dramatic. <laughs> do, you, do you? You like it? You like what? <laughs> do, you, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And at this point, if you're reading the Gospel of Mark, you're like, I don't get it. Why don't, they're, they're the insider. They're the disciples. They've been walking with Jesus for the past three years. How, why don't they get it? Even Jesus in chapter four says that, to you I give the secrets of the kingdom, but they still don't get it. What's going on? They still misunderstood who, understood who Jesus was. But to their credit, Mark does something very interesting in his gospel. He does this thing where he keeps Jesus' identity a secret. He suppresses it. And Jesus kind of says, don't tell anybody that you know. And he does this weird thing. He does, one of the ways that he does it is Jesus refers to himself in the third person as the son of man. You know those people that talk about themselves in third person and you're just like, are you talking about yourself or are you talking about someone else? It's very odd. This is what's happening as you're reading because the disciples are like, you, you, there's no evidence that they even know. They're like, are you talking about yourself or are you talking about, are you talking about the son of God? Are you, are you the son of man or are you talking about someone in the past or the future? It's still cryptic in the gospel. It's a secret. And those who study the book of Mark, they call this motif, this theme, the messianic secret. And a lot of ink has been spilled over this topic in the study of the book of Mark. But if you were to ask me, do you know why I think Mark does that? It's because, again, Mark is a beautiful storyteller. And it's because he highlights and elevates the times where Jesus' true identity is revealed. And again, yep, you guessed it. There are three scenes where Mark does that. The first one is that Jesus' baptism. Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River with John the Baptist. And if you know this scene, he gets baptized and what happens? The sky rips open and a voice came from heaven. And this, this is where Mark affirms the identity of Jesus. He says, you are my beloved son. Secondly, 
In your Bibles, the second scene or the second time that the true identity of the Messiah of Jesus Christ is revealed is in your Bibles, the title says, Transfiguration. So he takes Peter, James, and John, his three, up to the mountain, and he, he kind of does this like morphin time, like shows his true form. And what happens is almost the exact same scene. A voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. And then there's a third scene. The third and final revelation of Jesus' true identity doesn't come from the, the sky. Doesn't come from a divine voice. It comes from a human being that confesses for the first time in Mark's story who Jesus truly is. And it's scandalous who it is. Because as a reader, you're expecting the disciples to get it right. You're expecting Peter to get it right. Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Messiah. You're right. But that, that conversation doesn't go very well because Jesus ends up saying, get behind me, Satan. So even Peter doesn't understand. So who's the one that reveals who Jesus truly is? It's that Jesus' crucifixion. When Jesus died on the cross and he breathes his very last breath, there's a man that's at the foot of the cross and he says, truly this man was the son of God. And that man was a Roman centurion officer. And that might not be shocking to this audience, but if you're a reader of the gospel of Mark, this is scandalous. There can be no one that's more of an outsider than a Roman centurion officer because he was the one that executed Jesus. He was the one that symbolizes being an enemy of the cross. He's the person that's not meant to get it, but yet he does. And the reason why Mark does this is because he elevates this scene as the focal point, the, the apex of the entire story of Mark, which is what? The cross. What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? You cannot understand who Jesus is without looking at the cross. And it's at this moment that the reader realizes what Jesus has been trying to say throughout the entire book, which is the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve as a ransom for many. So how do we, how do we help this world? How do we help this generation not misunderstand who Jesus is? How do we help how do, we, how do we help those not, not misunderstand that Jesus is some fairy tale folklore? How do, we, how do we help this world not misunderstand that Jesus is like Santa Claus who, who gives any, any, any request if you're a nice person and pray it in his name? How do we help this world not misunderstand that Jesus is not just this political figure that's against everything? It's when his followers... You and I take his words very seriously. It's when you and I sacrificially serve and point people to the cross. I see this every day, actually. 
in my wife Eunice. Since the day that I got married, my wife has shown me and pointed me to the cross by the way she sacrificially serves as a wife. And I'm not talking about the cooking and the cleaning. We share those duties. I'm not talking about her folding my laundry. I'm talking about she serves me in the way that I feel most loved and, and needed. I'm very, I'm very emotional. I'm, I'm, I'm very high maintenance, actually, emotionally. And, and, and I, get, I get depressed. I get super discouraged. When I, when I preach a bad sermon, I, I used to wear a necktie. I used to serve at a Korean church. I just, I preach a bad sermon. I'd be like, you know, honey, babe, I got to get a real job. You know, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't working. And that's probably some of the most defeating, discouraging darkest moments when I'm like God you called me to do this and I, I suck but Eunice is there to listen to me to care for me to empathize with me you know the flip when, I, when she deals with my, my, my dreaming and my ambition to change the world Sometimes I'm like, you know what, babe? Like, let's just pack it up. Let's go, let's go to North Korea or to Japan or some communist country and just spread the gospel there. And she's like, we could, you could die. <laughs> but again, she says, when? When are we going to go? Let's pack our bags. She sacrificially serves. Not only that, but she, she, points, she points me to the cross by how she sacrificially serves as the mother of my son. As some of you guys know, my son is a little older than one, and to this day, he does not sleep more than three hours at night. I know, we did something wrong. <laughs> Please don't judge us. We're first-time parents. But every night, every night I would wake up I'm serious. Every night I wake up and I'm just alone and she's not in bed and I walk to our son's room and I see her in my son's crib with my son curled up into a ball comforting him. My wife's 90 pounds so it it, it works. (laughs) But my wife works full time. She doesn't get any sleep. She hasn't gotten sleep in over a year. Not only that, but she packs my son's snacks for daycare. She packs my lunch. She cooks the entire family breakfast. She's such a servant. But ultimately, I see it in the way that she sacrificially serves her parents. Since she was 18, she had to financially support herself because her parents got in a bad place financially, like many of us might experience with relatives. And my wife Eunice had to pay her way through college. She had to take debt out to pay her parents' bills, the Sprint bill, the cable bill. She didn't have a car. Her sister had a Mercedes, but she didn't have a car. She had, to, she had to take the bus from Westwood all the way to downtown for her job when she was 19. Sometimes it took four hours on Wilshire Boulevard, every stop. 
She would go home. She's 19 years old. She'd, she'd buy her parents' groceries, stock up the fridge. She would clean the house, cook for them. She didn't even live there at the time. And it was hard when we were dating because I saw that she was deeply underappreciated and almost severely taken advantage of. It got so bad to the point that right before we got married, she was ready to cut, cut ties completely with her parents because she said, it's just too hard. I can't do it. I can't take care of them. But this year, we actually moved in with them. And everyone that uh, knew that we were thinking and praying about moving in with her parents said, don't do it. You'll regret it. It's going to ruin everything. Don't do it. And we know. We know it wasn't the wisest decision. But we prayed. And Eunice and I, we felt called to sacrificially serve her parents in this season. Because we want to point, we want to point people to the cross. We want to live a life that is cross-shaped, that serves even her parents. Now imagine this place, EV-free. What if, what would it look like if this place wasn't just known for our beautiful facility? What if it was, what if it wasn't just known for having great in-and-out trucks for snacks and, and choir and orchestra concerts? What if, what if this place wasn't just known for amazing, great Bible teaching by that, by that 30-year-old Asian pastor, right? <laughs> but what if this place was known by the city of Fullerton, Brea, La Habra, Yorba Linda, that show who the Son of God truly is? that point people to the cross, that Jesus is not Santa Claus, that he came here not to be served, but to serve and to give his life sacrificially for people. What would it look like if this place was known for that? So church, I encourage you, let's, let's live that out. Let's be people who follow the Son of God who sacrificially served and gave his life as a ransom. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your spirit. I pray that this word would not fall on deaf ears, but that you would challenge and encourage your children in this room to serve just that much more to their families, to serve their spouse just that much more, to sacrifice that, just that much more and further for their children or for their parents, to, to, to serve and to sacrifice that much more for their coworkers or their community groups, to serve and sacrifice that much more 
for this city. All for the sake that people will not misunderstand who your son is. That he is the son of God. And he gave his life that may people may have right relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today is Communion Sunday. And we'll be taking communion. This is an ancient tradition since, since Jesus um, shared it with his disciples. And we, we, we celebrate it today as well. We do it to remember the death of Christ. And as we sing the songs and as you take the elements, you, you will go up into your aisles unprompted. Uh, and you will have someone, uh, you will face two people, and one would say, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and you will respond, amen. And another person will have the cup and say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and you will respond, amen. And if you could, if you could go back to your seats and hold the elements, and we will take them all together. But as you do that, I, I encourage you to reflect on who the person of Jesus truly is to know that he gave his life as a ransom, as a sacrifice for you, and that you would know that you are forgiven in Christ as you receive it. Let's worship together.